Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. We're in our series in Exodus, and we're at chapter 19 and chapter 20, which is where the Ten Commandments are. And what we're going to see is we're going to take each one of those commandments, and you know what the commandments are, but we have, we have to look at what are the implications of the Ten Commandments as a society and as a people group or even an individual who wants to live the way God prescribes us to live. Now, what's happening in America is they're going by man's laws rather than God's laws. And so what's happening is America is being divided right now with those who follow man versus those who follow God. And unfortunately, it looks like we're starting to get outmanned, so to speak. That we're outnumbered in this whole endeavor because our society keeps buying into man's laws rather than God's laws. And, and so I want us to take a, a, a view of this on several ways. I want us to understand that this is where God made the nation of Israel. Uh, they, uh, they existed as a people group, but this is where he created the nation of Israel. But the, in the application of this, this is exactly where America got its foundation as well. This is what our framers used to create the Constitution, to create the Bill of Rights, to create what we have now. So when we study Israel, we're going to see a one-to-one relationship with America. Not that we're in a covenant uh, with God, only Israel's in a covenant with God, but the same principles apply. And the same things that he says to Israel is what we did as a country. And it is unfortunate now to watch this country lose its Judeo-Christian values. It is no longer a Christian nation. I hate to say that. It is post-Christian with what's going on. So how are we to relate to this? How are we to survive in a, a, a place like this? How are we able to tolerate watching our country completely be undermined? They are now dividing us along racial boundaries. Have you noticed that? They're using critical race theory to divide America into enclaves. And so this is a tactic that's well known, and it's being employed here. And guess what? It is working. It is actually working to their benefit. And so you remember what Jesus said, a kingdom divided cannot stand. And that's what's happening. Now, we'll get into the implication of this, but worse, first where I want to take you is I want to take you to Saudi Arabia. I want to take you to the, mount, the, to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And I want you to see the area that God gave the Ten Commandments uh, uh, at to Moses and the children of Israel because this area is the foundation of Israel and it is our foundation as Western society. Western society is based on the laws that came from this location. Now, I want to show you some interesting things about the location because I'm going to make a point about the location. So, first of all, I want you to know this is Mount Sinai in Arabia. This is exactly where Paul said it was at. And the top of the mountain is burned. 
And so, as you can see, the Red Sea is where it parted. It's behind them. Mount Sinai is right here. Below it, you have the cave of Elijah and the almond tree that I'll show you. And then you have the sacrifice altar. I'll show you that. There's a Saudi guard shack that protects the whole area. And then below, in that last peg, that thumbtack, that's where the golden calf incident happened. And I'll show you that area as well later on in, in a future sermon. Notice how the top of the mountain is burned. The whole peaks of that top of that range is burned. It is a different color than the rest of the area. There's a picture uh, on top of the peak, and it is black. And it indicates that something happened on top of that. It had extreme heat and blackened the rock. Now, it didn't turn the rock into glass or anything, but definitely something burned it, the high enough heat to burn it. So again, this is the top of Mount Sinai. Now, what guys have been able to do is go into the area and take a few rocks to analyze them. And what they have done is taken these rocks and they've sliced them in half. And what you can see is that the inside of the rock is a different color. It's the, it's the color of what that terrain looks like. It's a granite rock, but that's the real color is this kind of orangey, pinkish, brownish color of granite. But where did it get the blackness? The blackness is not through the rock. The blackness is on, on the outside of the rock. And so it shows you that, you know, some people have said, well, this, that, that top is volcanic and that's why it's black. It's not volcanic. It's granite that has been burned. Again, another indication that the fire of God came upon that mountain. Let's go further. This is what it would have looked like to the, the Hebrews there. The mountain would have been surrounded by a dark cloud. God's on top, and the fire was there. So as you can see, this is another layout of the area. The, the Hebrews would have been in that beige area, not the yellow area, below the mountain. And the blackened peak uh, uh, is called Jebel Allahs in Arabia. Around the mountain is boundary stones. Now, why is that important? Because in the, uh, in the story that, that we see in Exodus chapter 19, they are to make a boundary around the area and not let the Israelites cross the boundary. And so you'll see these piles of stones all stacked up around the mountain that serve as boundary markers around the area. So notice the blackened peak. And notice in the valley where the Israelites would have been camped, they are boundary stones. You are not to cross this area because they would die if they did, right? Because God is holy. And then, interesting thing, Joel Richardson did an interesting thing. He, he, I don't know how he got over there, but he got over there. And he found these interesting red figures painted on the rocks around Mount Sinai. These rocks are, indicate that there's people unarmed, and then there's other people that have arrow, uh, bows and arrows shooting at them. And this is around the whole barrier. So what they have concluded is that it's possible that these are warnings to any Israelite who crosses the boundary that they will be shot by an arrow. And so it's painted red. It's obviously ancient. But it's all around Mount Sinai. So apparently what happened, maybe, is that you know once Moses put up the boundary stones, he also put up garrisons or guards around the mountain because... You know, you got two and three million people, and any one of them or a group of them could rush the mountain to see God. They would be slaughtered if they did. So the warning there is, if you cross the boundary, we will shoot you. We will shoot you with an arrow. So again, more evidence that this is the location. Let's continue on. 
At the bottom of the mountain, you have a slaughter platform that's been found, and then you have cattle chutes that are going through it, and you can see that shape. Cattle chutes go straight to the altar where they've been sacrificed. See, on the right-hand side, there's a river on the other side, and that would have been there during Moses' period of time. But here's this V-shaped, uh, double-walled cattle chute, and that's where they would have brought the animals to be sacrificed to Yahweh at that point. And there's a bird's eye view right there. As we get closer, here's the rocks, three, four feet maybe high. No one's touched them. No one's been in this area, obviously, so it remains untouched. Here's Moses' altar where you would have sacrificed the animals. And here's the double wall shoots you can see from ground level. And notice the three uh, little columns there. Those are the pillars that Moses put there to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. We'll show you some more pillars in just a second. There we are. So right next to the altar are 12 white marble pillars. Now, they've been broken down, but they were originally there. Now, you can see in contrast to the rest of the rocks that that's, that's not coming from the area. It came from outside the area. Wherever they got them, we don't know. But anyway, they chiseled them and made these pillars uh, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel represented by the pillars, and they're right there, right next to the sacrificial altar, exactly what the scripture talks about. Now, you can see the lake bed that goes out there. Sometimes there's water, sometimes there's not, but there's a river there that flowed out and provided, obviously, water for the Israelites, but that riverbed is right next to the altar of sacrifice coming down out of the mountain. There it is right there. Now, why is that important? You can see right in the right-hand corner, the chute, you see the chute there, little thing, and the river's right next to it. That's important because if you're going to have sacrifice, you have to have water, and you have to have cleansing uh, water, just like the temple did, just like the tabernacle did, had a laver, and so you had water available for cleansing and also for a lot of the blood being able to be washed away. Another aspect on the mountain is that uh, there's a cave there. Why is that important? Because if it's Mount Sinai, you have to have a cave there because the cave of Elijah. Elijah went there, let, remember, and he said, I'm the only one left, I'm the remnant, and that's it. And God says, no, I reserve 7,000. This is the cave, perhaps, that Elijah stayed in, uh, why he was on Mount Sinai. So all the geographical things m- make sense of what's there. Um, interesting thing, there's Elijah's cave, and then above it is another platform. This is on a second-level tier before you get to the highest peak. And there's a tree, there's an almond tree right in the middle of those two rocks that you see on top there. And right there are the two rocks, this is from the top view, and right in the middle, you see the tree there in the middle of them? That's an almond tree. Now, it's the only almond tree in the area. I'm not saying the almond tree lasted, you know, 3,000 years, but it's very peculiar that an almond tree is growing in the middle of nowhere in this area. This is what they think is the cleft of the rock that God hid Moses in when he asked to see God's glory. They think this is the the cleft of the rock. Not sure, but again, it's interesting because there's an almond tree growing in there. And we think, what's the big deal about an almond tree growing in the middle of the desert between two rocks? Well, if you recall, when they were challenging Aaron for his leadership as as far as high priest, what did God do to Aaron's rod? He made it bud made it blossom, and, and what happened was that rod was an almond rod, and God made it alive, made that staff come alive to prove that Aaron was the rightful high priest. I find it funny that in the middle of, of Saudi Arabia, there's an almond tree growing between two rocks. 
maybe perhaps the, the very place where God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. But the point is, all of this stuff adds up to something. It shows you that the evidence is there. Let's continue on. Now we're looking at, there's rocks there with Paleo-Hebrew or Proto-Hebrew around the mountain. Now, that indicates there's a Jewish people are living in the area at some point in time. This is Paleo-Hebrew. Uh, a couple things about this Paleo-Hebrew. On that top rock, it says, died Hagar. Let me ask you this. Is Hagar an Egyptian name? Yes, it is. Remember, Abraham went down and got a concubine named Hagar. Uh, the Egyptians were actually called the Hagarites. That's their ancient name. And then the below Paleo-Hebrew says, died Amia, daughter of Hagar. So these are two grave markers for people, uh, perhaps Jews, um, that their daughter and the mom died at the same time in that area. Um, another rock, uh, that Hebrew inscription there is a Paleo-Hebrew referring to Rephaim, or sorry, Rephidim, Rephidim. And Rephidim is where they came and rested before they got to Mount Sinai. And it was called a place of rest, a place of support. And so the word Rephidim is there on that rock. On this one, uh, it's hard to make out, but according to um, Dr. Miles Jones and Todd Eaton, who are proto-Hebrew specialists who actually got into the area, they say that inscription there is a proto-Hebrew reference to Yahweh in the Saudi Arabian desert. And that's pretty remarkable. The next thing, this is Dr. Sung, Hong, Sung Hak Kim of Korea. He's a doctor there in Saudi Arabia, but he's able to go to this area. He's a believer. And he was go to, he's going to this area, and he found this rock that has all kinds of Paleo-Hebrew inscriptions all over the place. But look at the one thing he found that he's pointing to. He's pointing to a Jewish menorah. This perhaps is the oldest inscription in all of archaeology of a Jewish menorah because it was created at the time of Moses when he created the tabernacle and right there in the desert. And so this is remarkable. That's how we know this is that some point in time, there was a Jewish population there, massive Jewish population, because there's all these Jewish writings, and there's a massive graveyard there that's filled with thousands and thousands of people. And they found this graveyard adjacent to the area, probably perhaps because of Korah's rebellion. This is interesting. This um, right here is a guy's sandal that was outlined. So this guy, whoever he was, outlined his sandal on on the uh, the stone. Next to it is a kaf, a proto-Hebrew kaf, the letter kaf in Hebrew. And this is perhaps, this is pretty funny. I think it's funny. Maybe you don't think it's funny, but here's the funny part. God tells Israel that when he get into the promised land, in Deuteronomy 11.24, that every place where you set your foot is yours, will be yours. Now, that was the idea of when they hit the promised land. This guy was a little over jealous, or zealous, I should say. And so what he did is he outlined his foot and he said, every place I play, put my foot, we own it as Hebrews. So he's a little over, over, over zealous. He's not in the promised land, but that's why they think he outlined his foot there to represent that Deuteronomy passage that everywhere we put our feet, we own it. And... Uh, 
misapplication, but he has the right intent. But this last, last one I'll show you is a Paleo-Hebrew. It says, died Amalek. Now, this is interesting. Died Amalek. See, right before they got to Mount Sinai, they fought a war with the Amalekites that were in the area of Ref, uh, Rephidim. And so they got it. Remember, Moses had to keep his hands up, and they hold up his hands. They were fighting the Amalekites. Well, on this stone, it says, died Amalek. So that's either a person of the Amalekites, or it may symbolize that the Amalekites were defeated here in Rephidim. And so either way, it's a reference to the Amalekites somehow, whether it's individual or the group that the Israelites fought. Okay, with that being said, what's the point? With all that evidence there, God is saying, I'm the one who gave the law out at this point in time. It was not Moses. It was me, the creator, Yahweh, who gave this law out. It was not given to anyone. Uh, sorry, it, it wasn't given to Israel by a man. Why is that important? Because God is saying that when I give the law, my law is absolute. There is no wiggle room. There is no redefining it. Versus man's law, which he makes up and can change according to the times and seasons. So God is saying, my law is absolute. So if you base your society on absolute truth, absolute law, your society, Israel, will function correctly. And so would America would function correctly. But the minute Israel and the minute America gets off of God's laws and moves to man's laws, you will lose your society. Up will be down, left will be right, good will be evil, and evil will be good. They will change it all on you. All you have to go is see what happened, go to Nazi Germany. Hitler defined murder. They didn't define murder by the Ten Commandments. They defined murder according to what Hitler wanted. And Hitler said it was okay to murder the elderly because we had to reduce the, uh, they had to reduce the, uh, the, the drag on the healthcare system. So he says, I have a great idea. We'll just kill all the elderly. So he did that. Then he killed the gypsies. Then he killed the homosexuals. And then he killed the Jews. And he said, problem solved. And it's all legitimate because the government said it's okay to kill these people groups. You see how man's law gets to pick and choose what, how they want to do things versus God is absolute saying, you shall not murder. End of story. There are no exceptions to that. And that's what we're dealing with today in America. We are now being flooded with man-made laws rather than God's. And this is why everything's going upside down. With that being said, let me turn to Exodus 19, uh, chapter uh, 19 and 20, and I want you to see something interesting in this introduction before you get into the Ten Commandments. And Moses went up to God... And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of, of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Did you notice that God doesn't say, Hey, I'm the creator, just follow me. Why doesn't he say that? 
Because he is the king of the universe. He is the creator. But God references something he did for Israel. I did this for you. Why is he doing that? Because he's showing Israel, yes, I'm the creator. Yes, I'm the king. But I have demonstrated my love towards you. I am a personal God. And I did this for you. Why is that important? Because this personal God who created us knows how we're created and says, I know you intimately, and I can tell you what is best for your life. I will tell you how you should run your life. And that way of running your life will give you the most freedom. Watch the theme of freedom here, okay? Now, therefore, if if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment. Look at that, 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 that phrase, if you will. Did you see that? If you will. Why does God put that as an if? It's a conditional. Because isn't it interesting that God then says, you will do this if you will do that. What is God showing Israel and what is he showing America? I give you the freedom to obey me or not to obey me. Because ultimately, what God's law does is give people freedom. Freedom to choose to obey it or free to choose not to. And that is where we get the concept, folks, in America of freedom. Everybody in the outside world beyond America knows that America is known for freedom. Where did we get this concept? Straight from the Bible. And it, it, it tells people this. Look, here are the laws, but you can obey them or not. Now, if you don't obey them, obviously, you're going to have a hard life. If you do obey them, your life will go a lot easier. It's that kind of concept. But why does God give people that kind of freedom? Why would he give human beings that kind of freedom? Because in order to have a love relationship with him, in the, in, the, in the essence of love, you have to give the other party freedom to love you back or not, which implies free will. This is why the commandments are given like that. By the way, the com- following the commandments gives people freedom. If you don't follow them, it actually puts you in the bondage. What do you mean? Let's just say that you don't want to follow thou shall not steal. You have the freedom not to do that. And you have the freedom to go out and steal. But how will that put you into bondage? You end up incarcerated. That's why. You will actually commit the sin and then end up in bondage. If you don't steal, you go free. It's simple as that. Yes, it's as simple as that. But does it get more complicated when you get into trickier elements? Yes. And we'll talk about all those elements when we get into the Ten Commandments. And so... He continues on and he says this, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am doing this to set you free. I do not want your society being slaves. This is why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is why in the Passover they were to lay on one side. 
They didn't sit at a table. They actually laid on their right side like this, laying down. Um, and, and their, so the, pretend this is a table. They would lay down. Their feet would be sticking out this way, and they would lay on that right side, and they would lay all around the table. Do you know why? Laying down the right side symbolized freedom. You are free now. Now, let's bring it to America. Our principles, because they were Judeo-Christian, were based on freedom. Okay? But now we have wicked and evil people, and I have the right to say that, because what they're trying to do is take away our freedoms. They want to destroy American freedom because they want a slave group to control. That's what all this is about. And so you do that through man-made laws. Think about what's happening currently about putting America under bondage. Think about what we just went through. Think about what they want from us. For goodness sakes, they want to make us a slave to Gavin Newsom, a slave to the government. That's the opposite of what God does. But that's happening. We'll get more into that. But several things come out of this, and I want to explore them. Number one, the law was was the ideal guiding essential principle of a free society. That's what the law represented. Now, with that comes the concept of life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Now, we call it the pursuit of happiness, but originally it was called the pursuit of property because property is a key to a free society, as you will see. What are the implications of, of thou shalt not steal? It implies that there are, that people can own property, private property. And so life, liberty, property. Those are the three key elements you will see in the Ten Commandments all through the 613 laws of Moses. Those are the highlights of them. Now, the idea behind that is this. We took that concept and we made it the bedrock of America. It's in, it's in our motto right? That came from the Ten Commandments. But see, these people, these evil people like Bill Gates, George Soros, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Gavin Newsom, and the rest of their ilk don't like what God says. They don't like the freedom that God has given us. They don't like us being able to say no to them. They want to control everything. And that, my friends, makes them evil. I have a right to say that because when you go against God's laws, you are evil. That's, there's no way to cut it. You either are intentionally doing it or you're in, uh, unconsciously doing it, but it's still evil. It's an evil act to come against God. Now, with that being said, I want to unpack a few things, and this is where we start drilling down a little bit. So the first thing is a protected life. You'll see that. Let's talk about that. You'll see that life is protected. Um, thou shalt not murder, the implication is that life is protected because people are made in the image of God. And because they're made in the image of God, then they, that life has to be protected because it's sacred. What you'll also notice about the Ten Commandments is that they're in the negative. They're in. The, have you noticed that? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The reason they're negative implies inalienable rights, that they're rights derived from God alone, that he says these are your rights. 
So why it's in the negatives is because the only thing that can happen is that you can lose those rights when someone tries to take them away. That's why it says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. You have a right to something, okay? So in our system now, uh, what's being perpetrated in our government and around the world is what we call positive rights. The Ten Commandments are in the negative rights because they're inalienable, but now they have positive rights. Well, what do you mean by that? That means that a government official or somebody making decisions for you and I says, I believe that everybody's education should be paid for, including the college and universities as well. Everyone has a right to get a college education. It is a right, and they'll pound the drum, it's a right. Ask yourself, in the Ten Commandments, does it say, thou shalt have education? It doesn't, does it? It's not in the Ten Commandments. And then you'll have other people, Bernie Sanders, whatever, whoever it is, I believe that everyone has a right to universal health care. And the people will cheer. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, that sounds great. And I believe it's a right. We got it. That's a positive right. And then people cheer. But let me ask you again. Go back to the Ten Commandments. Does it say, thou shall have uh, free medical care? No, it doesn't. It does not say you shall have medical care. It's missing. And I want you to think about this. This is coming from God, the most loving, compassionate, merciful being in the universe. And yet, he does not have a free college tuition. He doesn't have free health care. It's not, it's gone. So why do they pretend that they're so compassionate? They're actually pretending that they're more compassionate than God. Because in positive rights, in order to give those positive rights to somebody, you have to take them from someone else. See, inalienable rights means that I can exercise my rights and it doesn't affect your rights either. It won't affect you. I won't take anything from you when I'm doing my rights. But in positive rights, if I say, yeah, man, that sounds great. Free health care, free education, I'm all in. Sign me up. And I go take that free stuff. Guess what's happening? Where's the stuff coming from to pay for it? It's coming from stealing from other people their money to pay for the freebies over here. See, in order to do a positive right, you have to steal other people's rights. And so now these, these globalists say, we should have no borders, and we should not even have citizenship anymore. We should just have residency. Oh, my land, that breaks God's law about language, culture, borders. What happens if everybody in the entire world and their dog wants to come to America, and then Biden and Kamala want to give them a bunch of free stuff? Who is going to pay for that? Oh, we'll steal it from these people to give it to these people. Oh, the ends justify the means. That's satanic. Sorry. You can't do that. You can't steal from others to make something good for another person. It doesn't work that way. And you will not find it in the 613 laws of Moses. You will not find that kind of nonsense. But see, that's what happens in positive rights. Well, you know, I believe a, a woman has a right 
to her reproductive self. She has reproductive rights. What does that mean, reproductive rights? Oh, they're changing the nomenclature. Uh, a woman has a right to murder a baby. Oh, okay. They just try to dress it up a little bit. I believe in, in a woman's uh, right of reproduction. If the lady exercises her right to reproduction, because it's a positive right, whose rights does she steal from? The child. The child who is made in the image of God, right? The child is made in the image of God, and thou shalt not murder, gives that child the right to life. So in order to have a woman's reproductive rights, a positive right, the rights of the child must be stolen away and stripped of any human decency. That's how they're getting away with it, through positive rights. They just declare things. I declare this. I declare that. I, the Supreme Court then becomes your God. Look what the Supreme Court has deemed appropriate. Abortion, 1973. What, 2009, 2010, whatever, gay marriage. We just think everybody could marry anything they want to marry. Two guys can get, to get, get together. So we're going to allow this. Oh, that's called a positive right. Because when you get to the commandment, thou shall not commit adultery, that commandment means that marriage is sacred between a man and a woman. You cannot go outside of that. It's an inalienable right to a man and a woman to come together in matrimony and have children. That's a, a, a right. But now they're stealing that right away and saying, we're taking that away and giving it to all these people who want to do all kinds of crazy things. So we suffer why other people get to do ungodly things. This is the point that we have to understand of what, you know, what they're trying to do to us. They're taking the Judeo-Christian ethic and making it all positive rights. Before you know it, guys, we will be forced to do what they want you to do. Now you say, well, I'm not going to go with the system. Okay. But what happens if they change it to a digital currency? What are you going to do? You will have no choice. It's coming. You see, that's the first thing. It protects life. We'll talk more about that. The second thing, it gave freedom. What do you mean it, it gave freedom? Yeah, it gave freedom. I want you to think about this. It gave human beings the right to destroy their life. I know that sounds bizarre. Obey me and you'll live. Don't and you'll be cursed in life. You'll have a bad life. God is not an enabler. He is not. And what you'll see with God is because he values the freedom that you and I have that he gave to us as imagers of him is that you have the freedom to do anything you want in your life, even destroy it. And do people do that? Of course they do. Will he let them? Yes, he will. People should get a clue from God, the most merciful, compassionate, and loving being in the universe about not enabling people because he doesn't. He lets them hit brick walls. He lets them kill themselves. But we always run to the rescue of someone doing that to themselves. Oh, don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. And we have a society who think it's good to enable people. That's what the schools have taught. That we just got to help them. We got to do, yeah, you got to help people who are legitimately in need. But what do you do with somebody that continues to go on a path of destruction? Let reality show them what it's like. 
There's too many people getting in the way of the spankings of reality in our culture. No one ever learns anything. There's no consequences. Look at the school system. There's no consequence for bad behavior. They're not going to kick you out. You just keep coming in, little Johnny. Come on in. You can cuss out a teacher. Keep coming. We love you. No. Send him out. Kick him out. Show him what reality is when you treat people bad. They won't do that. We're going to enable little Johnny because, Brandon, you just simply don't know his environment. You don't know he comes from a poor economic system. Oh, you want to go there? Let's go there. You say positive rights, the Bernie Sanders types, the globalists, say that people act bad because they're poor and because they come from a bad environment. And if we just changed their environment and gave them a living wage, money, then all of a sudden, they would act great. You really want me to buy that? Because let's take you to Daniel. Daniel was in the worst environment you could possibly be in. Babylon. Can't get worse than that. Sorry. Did Daniel go crazy and start committing crimes in Babylon? He's just, well, I'm in the bad environment. I'm not in Jerusalem, so I'm just going to go crazy. Daniel was on top of everything morally. He stood for God, and you know the rest of the story. Well, how about poverty? Poverty causes crime, they say. Really? Doesn't say that with God. Because Mary and Joseph were the poorest of the poorest. Dirt poor when they had Messiah. They were dirt poor. Do you, did you see anything in the scripture where Mary and Joseph said, hey, we're poor. Let's go crazy. Let's go steal things. Let's get back what's ours. Reparations, man. Did they do that? No. The Bible says people are sinful because they have a sin nature. It's not because of their environment. Our founders knew this. That's why they did balances of power in government. Because they knew, yes, people are created in the image of God, but yes, they have a sin nature that will always lend themselves to evil. And they have to be curtailed. But see, our, our world says, no, 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 just give them the environment. And uh, no, 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 they'll, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll act really nice to you. What? Are you crazy? You're crazy. See, this is the not understanding of, of how things uh, in, in the Mosaic Law gave freedom to people. It gave freedom people to destroy their own lives. That's the ultimate freedom. But our culture wants to become a nanny state. They want to take care of people's mistakes. They want to, they want to support people who are cheating the system. I, I, I want you to think about this. Right now, in this idea of, of giving freedom, they're trying to take your freedom away. How so? Well, if you haven't noticed, they want to take your health care freedom away. That's what they're going after right now. See, it's your body, isn't it? If you don't want to take medication, you shouldn't have to. It's your body, your decision. Even if it would benefit you, yeah, if your doctor assigns you and says, I'm not going to take it, you have the freedom to do that. No one should tell you what to do on medicine. No one. And so these, these pushers of the vaccine, which is not even a vaccine, need to back off. Your bosses, your workers need to back off and understand, hey, look, you don't get to tell me what to do with my body. You don't. It's not yours, not your property. But see, they think it's their right to tell you. And eventually they're going to force it. They're going to force it. It's coming. And then they're going to force you what to eat. And, oh, no, they would never do that, Brandon. Huh? They're already talking about what you're going to eat. They're going to force you to be vegetarians. 
It's coming. They're already talking about it. Kamala Harris even said it. We got to get people off of meat. Now, why? You know, well, we got to reduce the meat consumption. So they're going to reduce you. What they want to propose is that you would basically be able to eat one hamburger per month. No joke. You can't make this stuff up, man. One hamburger per month. That's all the meat you get is 12 hamburgers per year. Do you know why? You know what their reason? Because this is, these are lunatics, right? These are lunatics and they're evil, evil lunatics. It's because of the bovine flatulence that goes into the air that destroys Mother Earth. No joke. So right now, this is their solution. Before you, they can get you off of meat. This is their solution. Show the cow. No joke. You can't make this up. This is a flatulence container for the cow. You can't make this up. This guy's legitimate, man. They, you can see, go online and put flatulence containers for bovines. And you will see these things placed on the back of cows because it captures the methane that comes out of the cow. And so that it doesn't ruin our planet, doesn't ruin the environment, cause global warming and cause all this stuff. Yes, this is how crazy you get. But you think that's crazy. The next thing is to tell you not to eat meat. That's where it's going. Because they can't do this to every cow. It's ridiculous, right? You can't do that. I mean, you would have to give them tons of gas X, apparently, to stop it. But it doesn't work that way, right? So they just say, well, we'll figure it out. You guys will stop eating meat. Have we come to this? Yeah, this is what happens when you get rid of God's law. How about this one? It provided for private property. It provided for private property. Now, we call this in America the pursuit of happiness, but really it was the pursuit of property is what it was. Thou shall not steal implies that everybody in this room has a right to private property. We all understand that. But yet that's being infringed upon right now. They're trying to take your private property away. Do you know how they're doing it? By inflation. By quantitative easing. Putting more money into the system. Have you noticed their prices have went up for everything? Yeah. It's going to keep going. It's not stopping. And that's the way they're going to get rid of your private property. What do you mean? Well, it's real simple. If let's say you have a thousand dollars in the bank saved up and they keep inflating the price, your value of that thousand dollars starts shrinking. You still have a thousand dollars in there, but it doesn't, it's not worth what it, it's worth anymore. They expect in the next few years that your money will go cut in half of its value. It'll be cut in half. So just, Think of what you have saved up and just cut it in half. That's called stealing private property through quantitative easing. It's a little more sophisticated, but it is stealing. The other thing is they, they want what you own. How do you, I know, they were already talking about it. Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum leader, which all the leaders and countries are following this guy. I mean, this guy's like out of a James Bond movie. I mean, Dr. Evil is all over this guy. You ever hear the guy talk? He looks like, he's straight, sounds like he's straight out of a James Bond movie. He has said, and the countries are agreeing with him, including ours, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it by 2030. They want to eliminate private property. Yes, it's Marxism. Yes, it's communism. But it's actually an affront to God saying you have the right to personal property. So how would that work? What what do you mean I won't own anything? So they're already talking about how they're going to do this. This is what they propose. They'll go to the people and say, hey, look, got a, 
got a great opportunity for you. We understand the economy, you got hit really hard and everybody's having a tough time. Prices are, in, are going up and high inflation. And boy, those, those, those banks are doing this and they're going to blame that. But here's the government's coming as a nanny state coming to your rescue. But we have a solution, guys. We, we, we got to help you out. We got to help the American people. And this is how we're going to help you out. We will erase all your mortgage debt, all your car loan debt or any other debt you have. And we'll just call it good if we become owners of your home and your car and anything you own. Ask yourself, would people buy into that? They would beg for it. The outside community that doesn't know the law of God, doesn't know what you know, are begging for it. Just like they're begging for the so-called vaccinations. They're begging for it. They will beg to have their debts all wiped out and say, fine, you own my house, you own my house. Oh, okay. Well, they're not going to kick me out, will they? You haven't went that far that you, to these people outside, right? And there's what you want to tell them. Uh, yeah, they will kick you out because you won't own your house. And so the minute your ESG score goes below the par, they're going to kick you out. And you won't have a place to live. You'll be in some type of government housing or some camp out there. Why? What's my ESG score? Oh, you haven't heard about the ESG score. The ESG score is how you rate on radical environmentalism. E stands for environmentalism. Uh, S, the ES, stands for social justice type warrior stuff. And the G stands for your governance. So if you're a business, that means you have to have X amount of people here, X amount here, X amount transgenders, X amount LGBT, X amount this. And if you don't, you're out of compliance. So your ESG score will be your social credit score. And so, yeah, you can stay in that home as long as your ESG score is high enough. But if it's not, because you posted a few things on your Facebook and your Twitter that are Christian, and that was ha very hateful to other people in the LGBT community, and that was very hateful, so your ESG score will go lower. Sorry, uh, that car you drive, we're just going to, you can't drive anymore. You're going to have to take public transportation. That's the dystopian nightmare that's coming. No joke, man. No joke. When this guy says it, here's the thing about evil. When they say it, they mean it. And they're not hiding it anymore. Oh, that can never happen in America. Okay. Okay. Did gay marriage happen? Because people said that can never happen in America. Yeah. Well, transgender can never happen in America. That's crazy. That's happening. Is taking your private property away going to happen? Yeah, because every Marxist communist regime has done that. It's all through history. They take away private. Look what they did to the Jews in the Holocaust. They just took away their property, right? They just took it away. Their businesses, their money, their teeth. They took the gold out of their teeth, for goodness sake. Don't think that can't happen. I know it sounds rough, but this is what happens when people get away from God's law, and it's happening. But I want to give you a, a, a positive thing to think about. We're going to go drill down into every commandment and be able to apply it to current events because it's so relevant. But the thing about this is, what's the positive out of it? We understand that America is being destroyed internally. We, we get it. I get it. You get it. But here's the positive side of what God's doing. Do you remember a scene in Genesis, and it's a dialogue between Abraham and God? And in that dialogue, I mean, God told Abraham, Sarah's going to have a child. He's the child of promise. It's Yitzhak, and he's going to bear the Abrahamic covenant and pass it on. And then 
God leaves with the two angels. But before he gets too far, the Lord stops and he says, shall I tell my friend what I'm about to do to Sodom? And so he did. The cry of Sodom has come up and reached me. I'm now going down to see it. He already knew it, but it's a kind of a Hebraic way of talking. And he says, I'm going to destroy it. And you remember the questioning of Abraham? Remember that? Lord, will the, the, the king of all the universe do right? Would you destroy it if there were 50 righteous people in there? Remember what the Lord said? No, if I find 50, I will not destroy it. Lord, he keeps going. 45? No. 40? No. 30? No. 20? No. And he gets down to 10. Will 10, will you destroy it? Lord, don't be angry with me for asking this question, but would you destroy Sodom for 10 righteous people? And the Lord says, I will not. Why did Abraham go from 50 to 10? Because that's the amount of people in Lot's family. And he knew his nephew was there. And the Lord says, no. But as you know the rest of the story, the, the angels go in there, and it's already planned that they're going to judge. They're going to judge Sodom. It's going to be destroyed. The five cities are going to be destroyed. So what does God do? He keeps his promise to Abraham. I, will, I won't destroy if there's ten righteous people there. But there were ten righteous, but it was planned to be judgment. So how is God going to do this? Simple. You remove the ten from the city. Remember what the angels did? Get your stuff and let's go. We're, we're heading to Dodge. Let's get out of here. And don't look back. And what did Lot's wife do? Pillar of salt. She looked back. What's the point about that? Actually, believe it or not, it's actually a great picture of what's going on today. People ask me, why isn't America being judged? And I said, it's simple. Because we're here. Judgment is happening on Romans 1 level. The country's been given over. But you don't see like the pounding that will come like in Sodom and Gomorrah. You're going to see that in the tribulation. So with all that being said, you and I are the reason judgment is not coming yet. Because we're still here. And so when God judges the world, including America... What will he have to do on planet Earth? He will have to remove all his believers, just like he did out of Sodom, off the planet. And then the tribulation comes. Then it hits. But until then, he's holding back the judgment because of you and I. He's holding back the judgment so you and I can continue to do what our Father called us to do as long as we're here. But make no mistake, my friends, at some point in time, he's going to be ready for judgment, and he's going to say this, come up here, and you're gone. And at that point, all Hades breaks loose. Remember, he doesn't harm his own children doesn't harm his own believers. You're safe with Messiah. Okay, let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. 
Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.